Welcome to another edition of the Surmapod. This is the podcast for the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance. I am the CEO and founder, Rich Lankov. I'm also the host of the podcast. Very honored today to uh, have on Michael Clark. Michael is the CEO of Clark Production, Clark Protection Services and the Safer Solution, a company that specializes in reducing workplace violence and active shooter events. Michael has over 30 years experience in investigation, executive protection, bodyguard services, and threat assessments. Michael created the SAFER, that's capital S-A-F-E-R solution, with Navy SEALs and Special Ops Delta Force Assault Troop Medics to provide effective training to prevent, prevail, and recover from active shooter incidents. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rich. Good to be here. We're talking today uh, as we are on literally the eve of the shooting in Las Vegas back on October 1st, 2017. This is the five-year anniversary of that tragic event um, at the Route 91 Harvest Fest uh, right outside Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. We're talking today as an organization that is dedicated at least partially to creating an environment to learn um, and share resources surrounding risks associated with live events. We're here today to talk about some lessons learned from Route 91, um, you know, maybe what the industry and people like you are doing differently today in the five years since this event. Some background. Um, you know, this was certainly not the, the first active shooter event at a uh, concert or at a music festival, but it was different in some respects that we'll cover today. Uh, the shooter in that case had an elevated position at Mandalay Bay, and that shooting resulted in uh, either 58 or 60 lives lost, depending on the count. There is some controversy over that number because 58 people died that day. Two others died later from the injuries suffered from the shooter. Um, he also hurt an additional 850 people. So, Michael, you work with companies to train them on active shooter events like the one in Las Vegas five years ago. Let's take our audience back to before this event, right? This was before COVID uh, in 2017. Again, not the first active shooter event, but we've learned some lessons. Back in 2017... What were the protocols in place to deal with this risk at live productions like a music concert? Well, Rich, obviously the Vegas, Las Vegas shooter or Route 91, however you're describing them, uh, was a bit of an anomaly to start with. So most security protocols back then and even now would have a limited uh, effectiveness because, again, you have a shooter in an elevated position at a good distance from the venue. So the venue security itself, uh, outside of using some high form of uh, technology like a shot detection system, even then, if that was activated and used by that venue, it would notify them where the shot, shots were coming from, which was one of the problems at that scene. 
Obviously, you want to have the best security possible, layered security. You're going to have your entry level and then your supervisors and what have you. But when you're dealing with somebody who is at an elevated position at a great distance, really uh, trying to prevent that is going to be very difficult, particularly because you're not in control of the location where he's at. I mean, the man was, I believe, 32 stories up. So one of the biggest problems of that event was, where is the shot coming from? And there was no shot detection system in place then. Now there is. Michael, what is a shot detection system? What does that mean? A shot detection system is some technology that has come out that if it's set up, they, you know, the, the short version is that you set up these boxes that they have all around your venue. And if somebody fires a shot nearby, this technology will actually let you know where that shot is coming from, which is great. It'll, it'll eliminate a lot of the confusion of trying to figure it out because it took them a few minutes to figure out where the shot was coming from, again, from a, from a hotel in the distance. So there are multiple hotels. The gunfire was probably ricocheting. The sound was ricocheting all over the place. So it took them a couple minutes, and obviously minutes are valuable in an active shooter event, to figure out, where was the muzzle flash coming from? That's how they ultimately figured out where it was. And shot detection will actually locate where the shooter is within a few meters. That is new technology. That can be very effective as long as your first responders, security are ready to go. Any technology is only as good as the people using it. So if everybody's ready to go and, and they move quickly, uh, a system like uh, shot detection is an amazing resource to have. So, Mike, to that point, and, you know, you're so correct in that in preparing for and dealing with the risks associated with putting on, you know, large events like this festival in Vegas, so much of the preparation just relies on the human factor, right? How well you are training your uh, folks on the ground and how receptive they are to uh, absorbing this and putting it into place. Um we know a little bit about what was going on on the ground that day. To your point, you know, it was an 11-minute uh, shooting, and uh, there was some delay in responding from all eyewitness accounts because it was a concert. It was an active concert. Many of them thought that the sound was part of the, the song. There was a Jason Aldean song going on at the time. But talk to us a little bit about the actual preparation that's involved with security personnel on the ground in dealing with an event like this, uh, country music festival, any other kind of music festival, how does that differ from maybe an indoor venue or, or some other uh, type of, of, of venue? Well, a couple of things is you get, you get into the, the old discussion of security versus privacy, security versus people's freedom. Regardless of whether it's an inside venue or an outside venue, I think security protocols have definitely gotten tougher as active shooter events have increased. I think the general public is more aware of that. And when you have your security personnel on the ground, obviously you need a layered security. You need to have the right supervisors looking up over your entry level security. All accesses and egresses need to be covered effectively. And you get into, again, the privacy versus security argument. More people as their safety is in jeopardy, are willing to give up some level of privacy, some level of freedom. Look at uh, TSA since the terrorist attacks. 
Nobody likes going through it, but every everyone understands you need to for your safety. It's the same thing at large venues now where you're seeing more people using wands. You're seeing more metal detectors. You're seeing pat-downs. Obviously, you want professionals handling this so people aren't offended, and you want them to move the crowd quickly but thoroughly through because nobody likes being detained in a long line. But again, if you make the population aware of why you're conducting the security, make them part of the process, tell them, see, say, see something, say something. I know it's a cliche, but it actually matters if you can get people involved to notify security if they see something suspicious. It's all part of a culture that's changed. Michael, again, in the framework of, um, you know, protecting large events, large spaces like this, why is that an attractive um, target for someone like the shooter involved here? Uh, we know from uh, investigation that he had staked out other locations. He had staked out Lollapalooza here where I am in Chicago. He also staked out the um, Life is Beautiful Festival in Las Vegas, another big festival. Why is that kind of open-air venue that's heavily populated by people who are there to listen to music, why is that something that is attractive to shooters like this and why should our listeners or what should our listeners learn about that to protect their venues that they're uh, involved with well unfortunately many active shooters are looking for as much notoriety as they can they're looking for the fame aspect of it and you get the copycat shooters who see all right you know ever since columbine you've seen other active shooters try to mimic, recreate that experience of shock, awe. And unfortunately, you're right. When you're going to a mass event, unless extensive security is, you are at risk. But the more security, the less risk. It's always a factor. There's the freedom versus uh, security aspect. And then there's obviously the cost analysis of how much security do you want to eliminate a threat. And when it gets down to what is what is worth more, or should I say less expensive, increased security costs or the liability of not having it. That's what I usually explain to my clients. Yes, this is going to cost more, but you're going to reduce or mitigate your exposure to a potentially lethal event. So what's really interesting about this case and this shooting, Mike, is that, like we talked about, he was perched at the thir on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay um, and that's where he shot these people from, these victims from. And you mentioned how tactically an elevated position is, you know, uh, more, more difficult to defend against. Um, I don't know if venues were considering, you know, surrounding properties like hotels in their security plans before Vegas. Um, you know, certainly when it comes to presidential visits, for example, I know that, you know, Secret Service, their footprint expands well beyond the venue. But was that in effect for hotels? Did people think that we should consider hotels as potential risks because they're near these venues in the past? Certainly now that's effective. But was that mindset around before Vegas? No, obviously after every active shooter incident, there's lessons learned. Again, the problem with that event is if you're handling the concert venue, you're not in charge of the hotel venue. And what happens is if you're, you can only control what you can control, right? 
So it, unless hotels are going to start screening people's luggage, which people, once again, it's privacy versus safety, you're, that aspect is going to be out of your control if you're handling the venue, the, the music venue. So you can only increase the security around your venue. You can do a risk assessment of the area, kind of like the Secret Service. But again, what is your budget for this type of security? How far out? The, the farther out your perimeter, the more expensive it gets. Obviously, you want to do as best you can, but you need to control your own venue first and then branch outward. The key is to not let somebody in to the venue first. As, at, it's much better to prevent than deal with it happening. Right. So if you were hired by a venue like this one today and you know money was no object, let's say, um, would... Okay. Uh, Music to my ears. Yeah, exactly. Would uh, considering... Would you consider the buildings around there? Would you scope those out? Would you have a system in place to avoid that being a potential source of an active shooter like the Mandalay Bay was? Well, if I, okay, so if money is no object, I would set up a, a shot detection system. Like uh, there, there are multiple companies out there. Data buoy is one I recommend, but they, I would set up a, a data buoy system where I can do a shot detection. I would obviously have, uh, people on the outside perimeter ready to engage if, if the shot detection alerted me to that location. But again, the idea is prevention. So that would mean I would have to have spotters on all the hotels nearby. You're, you're, you're talking about an incredible expense to cover that type of perimeter. I mean, that, someone that, who is hell-bent on doing what this guy did, and we know that when the police finally came in, it shot himself, right? So... There's some um, suggestion that he was interested in, you know, death by cops. Someone who's hell bent on doing something like this, they're going to find a way. And especially given that there's only so much you could do to prevent someone from bringing weapons into a hotel. To your point, unless you screen every single guest in a hotel, people could bring all sorts of stuff in. And no matter no matter how much money you have, unless you're going to shut down the hotel for a concert, it's impossible to really prevent this kind of thing from happening. Yeah. Correct. Either you're going to either 100% safety means 100% no privacy. Nobody's going to want that. Those are the trade-offs. You want to be completely, completely safe. That means you're basically in a locked venue and there's zero, zero incident that's going to occur, but you're going to go through some really repressive security concerns. Like I know that since Vegas, some of my clients in the space have started to change their behavior and started to improve the technology they use. I want to talk about two things in that regard, drones, number one, and number two, you know, scissor lifts with snipers. I mean, uh, a lot of these venues you will see, you know, scissor lifts with snipers to reduce the sure. risk of a shooter having that point of elevation that we talked about is hard to defend against. Sure. Again, more emphasis on security since these active shooter events. Having snipers available, it's fantastic. Using drones for surveillance, excellent. Having a strong uh, physical presence of security that is uniform, also excellent. But what I would also do is having, I'm sure a lot of them have roving security that are plain clothes mixing with the crowd. 
because a good active shooter or, or somebody who's going to start trouble is going to, A, be deterred by security and uniform, but they're also going to be looking for that opportunity where they're not around, which is where the plainclothes security would come in handy. Like, I know that it seems like every conversation I have with uh, someone in this space or just really in any walk of life, uh, one common concern is that we just can't find qualified people, right? I know that's particularly true in the security space because um, you've got people's lives in your hands and it's it needs a certain level of training and a certain level of competence to really provide adequate security. Um, are you finding that in this you know, in this particular time, it's difficult to find the right security to achieve the goals that we've talked about during this podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to find that in every occupation. And obviously, when it comes to saving lives, you don't want to, if you're going to get an operation, you're not going to go to the cheapest doctor, right? You're going to go to the most qualified. But when you're dealing with a large stadium and large venue events, you're not going to be able to pay for, uh, you know, a top expertise security officer at every exit you have. You may be deploying hundreds of security. So your initial security, they're probably going to be minimum wage, but then you need to have them layered with people that have more expertise. Their supervisors should be at each access point, making sure that the entrance and egress of everybody is handled correctly, professionally, and most importantly, thoroughly. So you're going to have to layer that to make sure that the worker bees are doing their job as professionally as can be done. And then you're going to, as the expertise gets better, you're going to have less of them, obviously, as you go up. That's just because everybody obviously is dealing with a budget. But they, I would also say that if you're hiring a vendor to handle your security, which obviously most of it's contracted out, it's within your right to ask about the training that they're even that their initial entry level security guards are doing. Do they have any type of first aid training? Are they able to use tourniquets? Unfortunately, if an active shooter event does occur, there are going to be injuries. And one of the biggest things that we've learned, speaking of lessons learned, is that many lives can be saved by simple use of tourniquets and having people understand how to use them. So I would want security guards to have an understanding of how to use basic first aid, have access to tourniquets, and even the uh, staff of the venue should have uh, training in uh, triage and uh, how to de-escalate situations. Ultimately, of course, I'm gonna say active shooter response training that includes prevention, how to deal with an actual event, and then how to recover from it on the medical side. Whether you're contracted security or actually venue staff, they should all get some type of training, whether it's active shooter response training or some basic first aid training and in the use of tourniquets in case there ever is. Unfortunately, an active shooter event, there will be injuries. And one of the biggest things we believe in is preventing loss of life. One of the ways you prevent loss of life is the, the ability to use tourniquets. Because what you see often at these events is their first responders will not be allowed in. And even if they get there in time, they're not going to allow the EMTs in uh, until they clear the area. 
during that time, people are dying of loss of blood, which isn't necessary if people have some basic training. Michael Clark of Clark Protection Services and the Safer Solution. Thank you so much for that insight and for joining us on the Servipod. Rich, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Ideas, strategies, and opinions represented on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not represent the ideas, strategies, and opinions of their employers.